For thousands of years, we've been under the impression that the Bible was intended to be taken seriously. Finally, a new translation that changes all of that. This is Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible! Reach out, touch faith! Whoa, sh- you're not here yet. <laughs> that was my guest just speaking out of turn for a second. But welcome to oh, episode 10 of Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible with me, David Tuckman. We're coming to you live from New York City's Double Wide Bar in Southern Kitchen. Let's hear it for our audience who's already crazy and losing their minds. Yeah, it's here for yourselves. Each month on the show, a guest joins me and tries to read as many chapters as possible of my own personal translation of the Old Testament from the original Hebrew while I make fun of it. Today is Monday, July 29, 2013. This is our second show at Double Wide. It is fantastic. I think we figured out all the audio kinks that we had last time. Last time I was near the door, I had just lots of sound in my ear, and the recording was not that great, but this time it should sound great. We've tested it. It's going to be awesome. I'm really excited listening to this right now. Um, I have a really special announcement for the show. Next month, Oh My God, What the Fuck Bible has been offered a spot at New York City's Magnet Theater, which is an improv comedy theater uh, on West 29th Street, 254 West 29th. The Double Wide has been an amazing home for us for the past two months, um, but the Magnet Theater is a comedy theater and it would be incredibly conducive to the show. They would offer this a lot of momentum that I, I think the show could, could make a lot of use of and it would bring this to a much bigger audience. It would be incredible if they gave us a permanent spot. So that is August 19th at 7 p.m. It's only $5, very, very cheap, and the drinks are even cheaper there. So I hope to see everyone who's here there and everyone who's listening to this right now. If you're in New York and you can make it and you've been thinking, oh, I want to go to a show, but I don't have time or I get stuck late at work, this is the show to come to because if you are there in the audience that day, you're going to help this show get a permanent spot and a new home. So hopefully you can make it. But let's get into today's show. Uh, Let's bring our guest onto the stage, or at least allow him to speak. Um, Sitting next to me is a man who, uh, he basically inspired this show. If not for him, oh my god, what the fuck, Bible would not exist. He's the founder of his own religion. Is that? Sure. Please welcome Ariel Abrahams. Hi. Hi, Ariel. How you doing? Doing good. 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 How's your How's your day been? My day has been productive. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's move. No. Um, I just said that you're the founder of your own religion. Can you That's talk? Right. What do you What do you do just in general? Because you're in you're, general. Yeah. I'm a, I I'm a program coordinator. Okay. But so I don't write computer programs. But I think I write programs for people to go through. So I'll make lots of steps, like the way you make steps for a computer program to work and when you press enter instead of the program running people run through it like when you're in a classroom or when you're in a theme park what does that mean in, camp. what does that mean in practice like in practice it means that I host events that are sort of like religious events or sort of like therapeutic events maybe and they I don't know, they happen. <laughs> they happen, yeah. I mean, you, you've been the host of some really interesting events that I go through, just gatherings of people, and I always feel like you're sort of the director of the energy of the party. Like, you focus us on moving through 
a certain group of activities in order to, to get something out of it. And it's always been very interesting when I've gone to something you've created. My friend Alex described me as a, a quiet dictator. A quiet dictator. I like, I like that, that a lot. <laughs> um, but can you tell us a little bit, so the reason this exists uh, is because of something that you created called the Bilha Zilpa reunion. Um, because of my involvement with that, I got the idea to create this version of the Bible, or of the Torah. Can you talk a little bit about the Bilha Zilpa reunion? Mm -hmm. The Bilha Zilpa reunion was a response to a lot of, to a lot of people I know from modern Orthodox Jewish backgrounds not liking it, either because they were excluded because they were gay, or they were excluded because they just didn't like what their parents, how their parents were interpreting religious activity from something that could be like a real fervor and like something wholesome into something really boring and suburban. So instead it was a series of events um, to try to figure that out together, to mm -hmm. make experimental religious activity um, or spiritual activity or community activity in some way, like getting together and doing all the things that are really fun and talking about why the other parts are so bland. <laughs> Kind of like this, in a way. Kind of like I this, I mean, I yeah. think this, because of... You sort of inspire me to do this. To me, this is an experimental religious community. Even though many of us might not be that religious, might even be atheists, might not believe in God, but we're going through this book and we're reading it communally in front of an audience, and it's kind of similar to what you do in synagogue. It's even a though, good book. Yeah, it's... <laughs> thank you, Ariel. It's a very good book. I'm trying to be as funny as I can tonight. You're doing, you're doing great. Thank you. <laughs> um, do you believe in God? Well, sort of. Okay. <laughs> I believe that there are, def there are forces between people that you can feel. Yeah. And if you stop thinking, you can just feel things. And whether or not that's God, that's something more special than, yeah. than just thinking. Than some external deity that lives outside of us. Yeah. Hands down. I'm not lives. really into narratives yeah. in general. So we're reading one of the oldest so narratives. Away, we're taking, yeah, but right, I was thinking before how, like, you, you asked me before we started if I liked, when I started liking the Bible. Right. And I was thinking to, like, reading the Bible in, like, second grade in school, and how, like, I, I've never liked narratives, so I've never been able to understand them. Like, I can't hear lyrics and songs, really. So it's really just that Bible feeling. Yeah. And that Bible feeling's pretty special. It's a pretty special feeling. Epic. If you've been raised with it. Yeah. yeah. It's a very epic tale. Yeah. God does stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's, I think, the synopsis to me. I think so too. And then people get screwed. Um, one last question before we get into this month's chapters, because we're doing a whole bunch of chapters, as many as we can. Sure. Um, what's your first memory of me? And I ask this of all my guests. Yeah. Um, I don't remember my first memory. Oh, it was, I guess it was, oh yeah, I do remember your first memory. Oh god. My first memory was in your tiny apartment that yes. was like the size of three shoe boxes. You had two shoe boxes worth, Yair had one. Yes. And you were like sort of angry cooking and then going back to your room playing video games. <laughs> that, that describes me, I think. Yeah. Living on 77s between first and second. That's not a detail anybody here needs to know, but I just said it because I'm OCD like that. Okay. Are you guys ready for chapter 13? That's what we're up to. Yeah. Okay. Before we move on, 
because, you know, you might be joined, listening to this for the first time. You might be here for the first time. I see a lot of new faces. You don't know where we are, so I'm going to give you a little recap. Previously, in the Bible, God created the entire world in six days, then killed almost everyone in it, promised the land of Israel, or an amorphous land of Israel, to a guy named Avraham if he cut a piece of his dick off. Avraham almost murdered his son at God's behest and tricked two kings into thinking his lady friend was his sister and not a single person has gotten married. <laughs> now, this is Torah, a loose translation, chapter 13. Sorry, in the beginning, chapter 13, in which Avraham finds some new pussy and has a whole bunch of sons nobody cares about. Avraham took yet another lady, this one named Keturah. So third woman, sanctity of marriage. She popped out some sons for him. Uh, this guy is over a hundred, by the way, and he's still having kids. Okay. Zimran, Yakshan, Shva, Dedan. I'm pretty sure Dedan is a player for the New York Jets, by the way. Ashurim, Litushim. Litushim. Leumim. Midan, Midian, Epha, Efer, Chanoch, Avida, Elda'a, Yishbach, Shatuach. So that's Keturah's kids. Great. Avraham gave him everything. Avraham gave everything he had to Yitzchak. Totally digging over Zimron, Yakshan, Midan, Midian, Yishbach, Shuach, and Yishmael. While he was still alive, he gave his concubine sons. Okay, so at the beginning of the chapter, Avraham takes Keturah, uh, yet another woman. And the word that's used for her is woman, the same word used to describe Sarah and Hagar. So his concubines, plural by the way, must be other women that aren't even mentioned in the book, and they probably have other children that aren't even mentioned in the book. By the way. He gave his concubine sons presents. This in no way makes up for writing them out of the will, by the way. And sent them off to the country in the east to keep them away from Yitzchak. He's a terrible father. Avraham lived for 175 years. Okay, so in chapter 2, uh, God declared that no person can live over 120 years. Avraham just lived 175 years. Just pointing that out. He died at a ripe age, old and satisfied, surrounded by his nation. Except for the kids he banished. Yitzchak and Yishmael, Avraham's sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, which was in Ephron's, Zohar's son's, field, the one facing Mamre. This was the field Avraham bought from the sons of fate and buried Sarah in. We know this just happened in chapter 10, but thank you. After Avraham died, God blessed his son Yitzchak, who settled in Be'er Lechi Roi. Chapter 13, everybody. <laughs> One of the most boring <laughs> in the entire book. And guess what? 14 is not much better. In the beginning, 14, in which Yishmael has a whole bunch of kids and then also dies. This is what happened to Yishmael, son of Avraham, who was born to Hagar, Sarah, Sarah's mid-street lady servant. Guess what? He had sons. They were Navit, Kedar. Kedar later moved to space. Eidbael, Mivsham, Mishma. Bleep lap. Womp womp. Duma. Masha. Chadad. Tema. Yatur. Nafish. These are the worst fake names I've ever read. Kedma. That's Yishmael's sons. Their fields and their encampment were called. Twelve presidents for nations. Again, the word that is translated to president is Nasi, which means elect, but I really like the idea of there just being presidents walking around at the time. 
Ishmael lived for 137 years. Oh my god, Jehovah is really bad at math. Life passed for him and he died among his people. Keep going. The Ishmaelite domain, the Ishmaelite domain stretched from Chavila to Shur, which is near Mitzrayim, towards Ashur. Ishmael was put to rest near all his brothers. Except for Yitzhak, I guess. Here, um, by the way, the Hebrew says Achim, which literally means brothers. Um, but I guess we're supposed to interpret it as his people, because given that Yishmael was banished to the desert at Yitzhak's weaning party, along with Hagar, his mother, um, theirs is not the most tightly knit brotherly relationship, I think. All right. Is that chapter 14? Okay. This is a, next one's a good one. Chapter 14 is done. 15, in which Yitzhak starts a family, and one of his sons gets a stew going. So this is what happened to Yitzhak, Abraham's son. Abraham gave birth to Yitzhak. No, he didn't. <laughs> sorry, sorry, dude, come on. When Yitzhak was 40 years old, he took Rivka, Betuel the Arami's daughter, and Lavan the Arami's sister, from Padam Aram to be his woman. No, he didn't. A slave did, <laughs> at least according to the book. But this isn't, there's um, the medieval French commentator Rashi makes an interesting point here. He says that uh, Rivka was only three years old when she was taken from Padana Ram, which is weird because she probably wouldn't have been sent to the well alone to gather water for her family when she was three. But, okay, that happened. Supposedly that was three years ago, before this. The way that some people say, oh no, it's okay that she was three, is that Yitzhak waited three years before he had sex with her, which means he had sex with her when she was six, which I guess is better than three, right? Okay. Rivka yeah. <laughs> was barren, so Yitzhak begged... Of course she was barren, she was six. <laughs> Wait. So Yitzchak begged Yehovah to help her have kids. What's, what's great about this is that um, Yehovah is constantly promising Yitzchak and Avram that he's going to give them tons and tons of kids and then they just have to wait. Barren. Right. They have to pray and wait yeah. until he's 70. Yehovah felt so bad for Rivka, so he made her pregnant at six. The yeah. two boys beat each other up inside her. So this phrase seems out of place. It seems like it's giving us information that we don't have yet. I kept the word the in there because the text actually uses it and it makes it all the worse. Um, as you'll see in a second, there's a revelation that Rivka is carrying twins and I think this is just another example of bad editing. Come on. <laughs> get your act together, God. Why is this happening to me, she asked. Rivka went to Jehovah for a little chat. Usually you can find God by the racetrack. Aha, there's your problem, Jehovah said. You've got two nations in your belly. I hope that's metaphorical. Two societies are going to come out of you. Apparently, before the advent of uh, OBGYNs, you just went to God for your ultrasound. One will be stronger than the other. That was a bad joke. <laughs> one will be stronger than the other. The older one is going to work for the younger. Rivka carried the twins to term. Behold, there were twins in her womb. Behold, that's not a shock. I'm shocked at her. <laughs> Come on. There was complete... Um, he was... The f yeah, the first one. I'm sorry. The first one was completely covered in red hair when he came out, to the point that it looked like he was wearing a cloak made of it. Ew. <laughs> he was named Esau. His brother came out, his hand gripping Esau's ankle. This kid was named Yaakov. So Akev uh, is the Hebrew word for ankle. 
Um, and Yaakov comes from the root Akev, which is why he was named Yaakov. When the twins were born, Yitzchak was 60 years old. Okay, so Rivka's 26, I guess. 60 years old, and is a 26-year-old woman. That's traditional marriage, biblical definition of marriage, guys. The young men grew up. Esav took to hunting and the fields, while Yaakov became a simple man who liked to sit in tents. Okay, I have to read this one because this is a lot. Rashi goes a little crazy with this sit in tents thing. Since tents is plural, he claims that this verse means Yaakov liked to study in the tent of Shame, who is Noah's son, and Aver. Noah's or Shame's great-grandson. In fact, according to the wacky stories that run alongside this text, Shame and Aver ran a famous academy that attracted the luminaries of the Jewish world, even though that didn't exist yet. Supposedly, the academy of Shame and Aver primarily studied the stories and commandments of the Torah, which, again, at this point, nobody really had access to. And this is where the traditional secondary narrative starts to collapse in on itself, because it's crazy. If they have access to this text, don't they have foreknowledge of everything that's going to happen to them? Are they able to change their futures, or are they just trapped by inaction by Jehovah? Was this thing written by Charlie Kaufman? Anyway, I don't like that interpretation because it's crazy. I like to think of Yaakov as a simple guy who, after a long day doing whatever people did back then, really enjoyed a nice long sit in a tent, and that's all he was about. Yitzchak loved Esav because trapping was in his mouth. So this is another weird idiom that nobody really understands. Um, the biggest problem is that the his can refer to anybody. Nobody knows who the his refers to. Some say that trapping was in the mouth of Yitzchak, which doesn't really mean anything at all. The JPS, the Jewish Publication Society, in their translation, they don't care what the words mean and just say that Yitzchak had a taste for game. Some people say the word Said means game. Yitzchak wanted game in his mouth. According to Rashi, trapping in the mouth of Eitzav means he tricked Yitzchak into loving him. He, would, he had trickery in his mouth, so he trapped Yitzchak. My personal interpretation is that Esav literally used his mouth to trap animals. He would lie down on the ground in the forest, cover himself up with leaves, and then when something stepped into his mouth, he would bite its leg and hold on to it for dear life. Yitzchak thought this was hilarious, so he loved Esav. <laughs> Rivka loved Yaakov. <laughs> Rivka and Yaakov, Yitzchak were bad parents who only loved one child each. <laughs> one day, Yaakov had a stew going, and Esav came in from the field, super tired. From murders, supposedly. Please give me some of that red, 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 red stuff, Esav said, because I'm super tired. Okay, another, another weird interpretation here. Supposedly, Yaakov's grandfather, Avraham, had just died and he was making the stew to ease the pain of his mourning father. He was making him lentil soup. And because of this interpretation, there's a Jewish tradition to make lentil soup for the family when they come back from a funeral, when they come back from the graveyard. However, that's a little weird because Avram already died, and then the kids were born according to the narrative. The other thing is that Avraham was 100 when Yitzhak was born and 170 when he died. Yitzhak was 60 when the kids were born. So if that means that they were 10 years old when Avraham died. I think Yaakov's a little bit young at 10 years old to be making lentil stew, and Esau at 10 years old is definitely a little young to be murdering people. But it's the Bible. For that reason, Esav was called Edom. Which means red. Sell me your birthright, Yaakov said, effective as of today. 
Look, I'm about to die, Asaph said. He was not about to die. What do I need a birthright for? <laughs> not a free trip to Israel. They were already there. As for this day, Yaakov said, swear to me. Asaph swore and sold his firstbornness to Yaakov, who gave him bread and lentil stew. Asaph ate, drank, and got up and left. He was totally... He, he had totally wasted his birthright. <laughs> I almost said he was totally wasted by his birthright. <laughs> Speaking of totally wasted, I think that happens in 17. But we're up to chapter 16, in which a plot line is repeated yet again. Famine struck the land. The first since Avraham was around. Hungry as fuck, Yitzchak went to Grar to see Avimelech, king of the Plishtim. Yeah, we can keep going. Do not go to Mitzrayim, Yehovah said, appearing to Yitzchak. Stay in the land and I will tell you about it. That's weird because he's already in the land, so... If Thanks, Grammar. If you live in this land, I will be with you and bless you. I'll give you and your kids all of these lands. I made a vow to Avram, your father, and I will keep that vow. Look at your penis, Yitzchak. It's like that for a reason. I will make you have as many children as, as, there, are in this, as there are stars in the sky. And I, will give them all, and I will give them all these lands. All the nations of the world will bless themselves by your kids. Okay, sure. Just like Abraham listened to my voice and did what I told him, you'd better follow my commandments, my laws, and my book. So the word here used for book is Torah, which is what this book is called. Crazy, I know. So Yitzchak stayed in Grar. The people of the area asked about Yitzchak's woman, and he told them she was his sister. You know, this exact same thing happened in chapters 5 and 8, right? You see, Yitzchak was scared to say she was his woman because he thought the people would kill him in order to rape her and stuff. Remember how in chapter 8, uh, Avimelech and Pichol, chief of Tzvoah, made a treaty with Avraham where they swore not to ever lie to each other? Or to each other's children or grandchildren, they probably should have included their children not lying to each other either, because Yitzhak done fucked up. Rivka was very beautiful. After, the, after they'd been there a while, Avimelech, king of the Plishtim, looked out his window and saw Yitzhak making Rivka laugh. If you know what I mean. Aha! Uh -huh. No, 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 seriously, it's a euphemism for making her come. Oh. Yeah, no, that's what Rashi says. <laughs> In broad daylight, at 70, good for Yitzhak. <laughs> Aha, Avimelech shouted at Yitzchak. She's your woman. Why did, why did you say she was your sister? <laughs> you can keep going. I thought if I said so, Yitzchak said, you guys might kill me. This, word, this is the second time that the Avraham family has played this trick on Avimelech, by the way. It should really not work on him twice. Some people say it's a different Avimelech, but fuck that, because no. What do you think they were going for? Do you think there was a punchline involved? But, well, you'll see the punchline. <laughs> what have you done to us? One guy almost Frenched your lady's naughty bits. We would have all been guilty. Avimelech decreed to his nation. If they touched Yitzchak or his woman, they'd be executed. I'm sorry, it doesn't happen here. When Avraham does it both times, she's just given a whole bunch of money by these kings. For, because, you know, why not? Yitzchak planted seeds there, and in a year, he grew a hundred times what he expected. Jehovah had blessed him. Yitzchak grew and kept growing until he was a very, very big man. Keep going. He had flocks of sheep and oxen and a whole lot of business. The Plishtim envied him. They filled all the wells that had been dug by the slaves of Yitzchak's father back in the day and sealed them with dirt. You should leave, Avimelech told Yitzchak. Things are getting pretty intense around here. Chapter 16. 
Let's hear it for Ariel reading chapter 16. Sorry. Oh, God. Okay, I think we have time for at least one more. Um, we have 10 minutes, according to the sign that was just held up in the back. We have time for one more, I think. So, do you guys want to hear one more chapter? Okay. I have to warn you, though, it does not get better. <laughs> this is more boring. Though there is a nice scene at the end, so let's all hold on for that, because shit's going to get crazy. This is 17, in which Yitzhak consolidates his growing empire. Yitzhak left the city and settled down in the spring of Grar. Which I'm bummed is not named Gwar, but whatever. There, he redug the wells of his father Abraham, originally dug. They had been plugged up by the Plishtim after Avraham died. To be fair, they had probably originally been dug by Avraham's slaves, and Yitzhak's slaves probably dug them up. He gave them the same names his father did. Naming wells was something people did back then. <laughs> it's like adopting a highway. Exactly. <laughs> Yitzhak's slave, slaves dug in the spring of, of uh, Grar and found a well brimming with water. This started, a well this started a well battle between Yitzhak slaves and the shepherds of Grar, who claimed the water was theirs. Dude, you can't, like, own water, man. <laughs> that well was called Esek, because it was argued over. Esek has the same root as Hitasku, meaning we argue. They dug another well, which also started a fight. This well was named Shitna. It's called Shitna because digging it started a whole lot of shit. Yitzchak moved and dug yet another well. True. Nobody fought over this one. It was called Rehovot. And it was said, now, Yehuda has, now, now Jehovah has expanded our reach and let us fill up this land. Hirchiv, which has a root similar to Rehovot, means expanded. Get another language note. From there, they went up to Beersheba. That night, Jehovah appeared to Yitzchak. I am your father, Avraham's God, he said. Yeah, we know. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I will bless you and make you produce loads of children, just buckets of them, on behalf of my slave, Avraham. Yitzchak built an altar and called out, Yehovah. You know, no one ever heard God talk to Yitzchak or Avraham. Some of Yitzchak's slaves were holdovers from the Avraham era, and while they had eventually grown used to their previous owner periodically screaming the name of some god until his throat was hoarse, they were glad after his passing that it was over. When in his old age, Yitzchak picked up the family tradition of random yelling, all they could do was suddenly shake their heads and get to work digging yet another yell. He pitched his tent, and his slaves dug, a, his slaves dug up a well. Avimelech came from Grad to meet Yitzchak. His entourage... Achuzat, an advisor, Pichol, commander of his armies, and some friends. Avimelech's getting cooler. When he met up with Avram, it was just Pichol. Now he's bringing along Achuzat and friends, so things are looking up for the guy who keeps mistaking sisters for lady friends. <laughs> Why'd you come see me? Uh, 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 why'd you come to see me? Yitzchak asked them. Don't you hate me? You kicked me out of your city. We've noticed, they said, that Jehovah likes you a whole bunch. So we said to ourselves... Selves, let's make a treaty. Let's make a treaty with this guy. You won't hurt us, just, if, just as we haven't touched you and have only been good to you. We'll send you off in peace. A language note, by the way. In Hebrew, when people leave, they sometimes say bishalom, or in peace, like they do here, or lishalom, meaning to peace. Apparently, lishalom is the more powerful phrase because it suggests that they will reach peace in the future, while bishalom is a fragile peace at the present that can break at any moment. Now you have been blessed by Jehovah. 
Yitzchak made a feast, and they stuffed themselves and got blotto. Avimelech regaled all with the story of the time he almost fucked Yitzchak's mom, while Pichol puked into one of the billions of wells that were lying around. <laughs> when they got up in the morning, each man swore a vow to his brother. They swore they'd never speak of that night again. <laughs> Yitzchak sent them off, and they left him in peace. That same day, Yitzchak's slave came by to tell him that they had found water in another well they dug. What they didn't tell Yitzchak is that they had drowned a few aggressive shepherds in the well as well. Yitzchak called the well Shiva. This means seven. I don't know what numbers have to do with anything, but this, maybe this was the seventh well, I guess. Which is why the city is called Be'er Sheva to this very day. It is, but this is weird because according to chapter 8, the place was called Be'er Sheva because of the seven wells that Avraham dug there. It's almost as if these two sections of the Bible contradict each other. That's chapter 17. Let's give it up for Avraham. Sorry, I was off mic. I think that's all we have time for today. Am I right? Okay, I'm right. We gotta keep. We gotta close this up because there's a dark game coming in. Um, <laughs> Ariel, yes. before we go, we have a segment called the Devar Torah or the Torah Word, in which we try to sum up all the disparate chapters that whoever has been the guest has read into one single word. What word do you think you can use? Stewie. Stewie? Yeah. Like Griffin or the soup? Both. Okay. <laughs> My Torah word for this month, Wells. Good one. Yeah. Um, do you have any other thoughts about this month's selection? Oh, lots of kids. Lots of kids. Um, what? Buckets. Buckets full of Buckets kids. Buckets full of kids. Buckets full of water. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Buckets full of stew. We we've, we've covered both. If what's what's the what's the thing? If you uh, if you don't have bread, you don't have Torah, and if you don't have water, you don't have Torah or something. I don't. Yeah. I don't know what you're okay, talking we've, about. We've covered it all. <laughs> we've covered it all. Yeah. We've covered bread and water. Yeah. And Asav's a ten-year-old murderer, which is cool. Which so, I think is possible. Yes, definitely. In biblical definitely. times, definitely common. And they had yeah. very little gun control back then too. Yeah. Um, one thing that I keep coming back to is I don't think the forefathers are very good men or fathers. They have a lot of women and a lot of kids that they don't take very good care of. Espe I mean, especially Avraham. He has all these kids that he cuts them out of the will. And then Yitzchak and Rivka pick favorites among their kids and play them against each other. We'll see a lot more of that played out next month. But it's not that inspiring. There are some good things that they do, but I'm not... We'll see. I have to read between the lines a lot to get some moral messages or lessons from these characters. That's all I'm saying. Um, Ariel, before we close, is there anything you'd like to plug or anything you'd like to talk about? And while you do that, I'm going to write down what you're going to read for next month in the Bible. But is there anything you'd like to let people know they should check out? Um, this is coming out uh, a week from today, so August 5th. Okay. Well, one thing we can flag <laughs> is Odyssey Works, which is happening in New York City Brooklyn specifically, this coming September, you could be a friend on Facebook. It's a theater group that I'm involved in that creates a 24-hour long performance for one person, and that person has been chosen, and they are undergoing a crazy performance right now as we speak, leading up to September 21st. And if you live in Brooklyn, you can get involved and even come this Wednesday to Park Slope to learn how to be a fool with me and some other fool trainers who will teach you how to dribble your food and your stew 
off of your mouth and fall on the floor the right way and <laughs> act in a primal way. And what day is this Wednesday? Wednesday is August... First, I think. Yeah. Um, No, July 31st. July July 31st. 31st. Yes, today is July 29th. It's Monday. So if you're listening to this online, you have missed it. Um, If you want to check me out, first of all, uh, if you want to check out this podcast, if you want to follow us online, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash omgbible. Follow us on Twitter at omgwtfbible. Um, Or go to the website, omgwtfbible.com. Please, if you've liked the show, if you enjoyed the show, Ariel is another plug that was just written down. If you enjoyed the show, please, please give us a review on iTunes. It really helps. Or just spread the word. Tell your friends. um, Tell your rabbis. Tell your pastors. Tell your grandparents. Tell your children. Tell your grandchildren. Come check it out. Spread the good word of, oh my God, what the fuck Bible. Um... Come see me and Steve D. Siena and Steve Whalen. We host a comedy open mic uh, called No Jokes Allowed the second Monday of every month. The next one is August 12th at New York City's Beauty Bar. It's a really, really interesting open mic. It's alternative comedy. It's very strange. It's like nothing you've ever seen before. And if you want to perform, you can. Not this month, though, because it's already... Actually, no, this month. You can still sign up. There are still slots available. Ariel, do you have one last thing to say? Um... If you want to come see the artists of Odyssey Works talk at the Brooklyn Museum this coming August 10th at 2 p.m., be there. <laughs> um, before we go, I want to thank, first of all, everyone here and everyone who's listening. Thank you so much. I want to thank everyone at the Double Wide. That's Kristen, Lisa, Bart, and Norm. I want to thank Wendy Chin for the poster, the flyers, the stickers. Our audio engineer, John Passaro, our live audience, which I thank you twice. And please, Ariel, I have something for you, so you got to get ready. Please make sure to join us for episode 11 on August 19th at Magnet Theater at 7 p.m. or if you're listening online on August 26th, because next month in the Bible, Yaakov swindles his dad. Woo!